Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Kevin Connors. Welcome to Holistic Health Hour. You like that name? I don't know. We're still jumping around with that. It's not going to be an hour long, but we do want you to submit your questions on um, the links below this video, and we'll get to them. We had a few questions that came in already that I want to get to first, but let me just tell you the format of this. We're just going to be really casual, obviously. I mean, jeans, very casual. Um, but uh, in a Maybe it should be casual cancer class. I don't know. We'll think about that. But um, uh, just get your questions in. We'll go over them. I can't get too personal with specific things, but if we can get some general things about cancer, that could be helpful to people. That's what we're all about. Also, check out our website and our blogs. We give away all our books for free. It's a free download. Utilize that as well. Um, we really try to run our practice as a ministry so that you know, people that can never come to us um, can still get information that can help them with their care. Uh, I'm, again, Dr. Kevin Connors, one of the practitioners here at Connors Clinic. So let's just jump right into the questions and get into this. So the first question that came in is, um, do your genes cause cancer? Um, uh, so let's jump into that right away. So there's very few cancers that we would say are caused by your genes. There are genetic mutations, especially you might have heard of the BRCA genes. Those are tumor suppressor genes. So a tumor suppressor gene is a gene that will turn on, for sake of a better word, if cancer is growing in your body and it will help your body kill the cancer. So tumor suppressor genes are very important. So defects in, the, in tumor suppressor gene systems can contribute to cancer, but they'll never be a cause of cancer. So, uh, for instance, if I have cancer growing in my breast and I have BRCA gene defects, so my tumor suppressor genes aren't going to be able to turn on to kill that cancer. You have other systems that are going to kill that cancer. So just because a person has defects in their tumor suppressor genes certainly does not mean that they're going to get cancer. Now there are some other genes, especially with colon cancer, that if people with these specific genes um, have a much higher incidence of colon cancer, colorectal cancer, but for the most part your genes are not your causative factor of your cancer. Um, and then the second part of this question is what about the MTHFR defect? Your MTHFR uh, gene is a very important gene with detoxification, with methylation, um, but I certainly wouldn't say that that's a cause of cancer. Now genes can, defects in certain pathways, especially um, pathways that are involved with detoxification, can be, you could, you could argue that they could be a secondary or tertiary cause of cancer because if I'm exposed to toxins, um, and let's say two people are working the same job, spraying horrible chemicals, uh, you know, whatever, and I have a lot of defects in my detoxification pathways and my, my coworker doesn't, um, I gotta be um, less readily um, able to detoxify those chemicals. So from a secondary standpoint, yes, I'm ex you know, exposed to the same toxins as my coworker. My coworker's able to detox these out uh, faster than, than I am. The chance that these chemicals are going to settle in my cells is much greater because of those defects in those pathways. 
the chance of that settling in my cell and disrupting the cell replication pathway uh, is higher, and that's what cancer is. So cancer is, by definition, a cell that has its replication pathway uh, affected in a way that the cell is going through rapid replication, and natural uh, cell death, apoptosis, isn't taking place, uh, and so that can that's what cancer is. So the cause of it really would, in this case, in this example, would be uh, toxicity. Um, where is the, are the genes the cause? Well, is there's a secondary effector that I'm not able to detox uh, quickly, and therefore I'm the, the toxins that I'm exposed to aren't getting out of my body. So yes, in that case, yes. That's why when we look at a person's genes, and that's part of all our plans, and we think it's very important. Uh, your detox pathways are one of the major things that we look at, um, even more so than your tumor suppressor genes. Next question came in was, what are some general things that somebody can do for cancer? Uh, so if I'm diagnosed with cancer, some general things that you want to look at is um, simply start with cleaning up your diet, um, you know, because is, is dietary factors the cause of cancer? Well, no, not, not usually. Sometimes, yes, but um, cleaning up your diet is going to be the best thing to help stimulate your immune system. Obviously, you have cancer. If I'm diagnosed with cancer, what I'm doing up to this point um, uh, is not working to get rid of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be diagnosed with it. So you got to look at, though, maybe it's not the causative factor or maybe it's not going to make a giant difference, but certainly looking at diet, cleaning out um, too much excess sugar in your diet, cleaning out too much excess animal proteins in your diet, um, Dairy is a big driver because of the growth factors in dairy. Uh, just doing some simple things to clean up your diet is a good thing to do. Uh, that's going to help your body be able to, your immune system be able to attack the cancer instead of dealing with inflammatory responses because of maybe poor dietary habits. So that would be one thing to do. From a nutritional standpoint, um, you know, our, my book is filled with different options as far as different supplements to take. Uh, so I'd probably refer you to look at that. And again, that's a free download um, on the website. So I'm not trying to sell you anything. So go on our website, connorsclinic.com, uh, to the book section of the blog section, and you can download a free copy of the book. Another question came in is, is a plant-based or alkaline diet best for the treatment? for cancer. Um, we get that question a lot. Should I go on a keto diet? Because, oh my gosh, I read this book on keto diets and cancer. Should I go on a plant-based diet? Should I not do any animal protein whatsoever? Should I become a vegan or a vegetarian? Is that the best thing? Should I go on an alkaline diet? Um, is that the best thing? The truth is, is that cancer needs a, um, uh, a, a growing cancer. So cancer is cells in rapid replication, that means they're highly metabolic, means they're very hungry. So they're looking for a fuel source. Is that fuel source always strictly glucose? The answer is no. It, it, sometimes it's not glucose. Sometimes it's glutamine and serine, and, and those are different amino acids that are from protein. So uh, a person whose cancer is driven mainly through amino acids 
uh, that is the main fuel source, then yes, a plant-based diet would be best for that person. Uh, but a plant-based diet, um, let's say a type, a typical like Gershon juicing, I'm going to start juicing right away. Well, juicing can be high in glucose. So if your cancer is fed mainly through glycolysis, through the breakdown of glucose, then that might not be the right diet. Uh, so uh, how do I know? Because there's these extreme ends of, of ketogenic, um, which is you know very, very low sugar, very, very low glucose, uh, but maybe higher on the aspect of proteins. Um, versus a juicy Gerson type diet, which is um, very high in glucose. So it's just, it's very difficult to know which one, which diet is best for you. So in our clinic, we test for that. So, um, but let's say you don't come to our clinic, how do I know what diet is best for me? There is um, some data out there on uh, metabolic uh, typing. That's uh, what Dr. Gonzalez used to do, uh, is do metabolic typing, and he did produce some, some literature on that, that you could take a very long questionnaire and get an idea of what could possibly be fueling your cancer. We have found that to not be extremely effective in, in, in knowing what can fuel my cancer. Also, the struggle with that is that cancer is constantly trying to survive and find a fuel source. So if your fuel source in your cancer is mainly glucose and you go on a ketogenic-like diet, don't have to necessarily get total, totally into ketosis, but if you go on a ketogenic-like diet um, and you're, you're starving your cancer, that's the goal, but your cancer can switch uh, quite easily because it's trying to find a fuel source and it can be fueled through a different pathway. So diets for cancer patients may need to switch over time. So if your cancer is fed mainly through amino acids and you cut down on the animal proteins and you find that your cancer is starting to go into remission and then six months later it starts to take off again, what's the matter? I've been staying on my diet. It might be because the fuel source switched. So if you're not a patient of ours and you don't have a way to find out what's the best diet for me, um, Maybe a balanced diet, meaning low in animal proteins, doesn't mean you're gonna go off them completely and get rid of all your simple carbs and try to get on a low carb diet. That is what we call a mixed diet. Um, most, uh, most people that we test, honestly, test positive for uh, dairy being a driver for cancer. So I would suggest uh, in general, dietary, cutting out dairy or getting, you know, cutting down dairy to a minimal uh, is beneficial. And it really has to do with the sort of what dairy is. Um, and we're talking about what comes out of a cow's udders when we're talking about dairy. Um, what dairy is, is to make a baby cow grow quickly and gain weight quickly and become an adult cow. So it has growth factors in there, it has hormones in there, it has all sorts of other impurities in there as well. Even organic dairy still has hormones and growth factors in it because that's what dairy is supposed to do. So that I would say in general is the right diet to do. But if um, you don't have a way to test it, the only way to test it really is to try one of these diets and see if it if it slows your cancer growth, of course you have to have some at least subjective or objective data to be able to measure if you're slowing the cancer growth, but that's one way to do it. 
is try a diet, see how you're doing. You're doing real well. You feel like you're in a relative state of remission, then stay on that diet. If things change and your cancer wakes up and starts growing again, then think about switching diets because it's looking for a fuel source. Dustin, our uh, loyal tech person, is feeding me questions here from you. What are your thoughts on IV vitamin C? Well, IV vitamin C, I list as one of the cancer killers in my book, um, but it's one of, I don't know, what do we have, a uh, uh, hundred cancer killers or 80 of them or something listed in chapter five of this book. So this is for a free download. It's a big book. It's like five, six hundred pages. So you could get it on Amazon, but it's a free download on our website. So I, we look as, at vitamin C as one of those 80 possible cancer killers. So we don't see vitamin C as, oh my gosh, you got cancer, get on IV vitamin C right away. It can be a huge uh, benefit for some people. But it's just like any, anything, whether it be chemotherapy or whether it be an alternative therapy, whether it's IV vitamin C or, or it's mushrooms or, or whatever it is, uh, what works for one person might not work for another person. So um, how do I know that? Well, again, in our clinic we test for that, but one of the ways that if you don't have that ability to test for that, um, you know, if you're a believer, you should be praying about what you should be doing, obviously, um, but otherwise you just have to try things and see if it works for you. How long should I try IV vitamin C um, before it's gonna really change the cancer growth? Um, you know, give it a few months, see if, if that makes a difference. Um, if you feel like you're really led to do IV vitamin C, stay on it. Um, uh, that, you know that when anybody's going to deal with cancer, it's usually a combination of multiple, multiple things that's going to affect that cancer to send you into remission. Um, IV vitamin C can be done along with chemotherapy. We typically recommend if you do IV vitamin C with chemotherapy, you wait at least 48 to 72 hours after um, uh, you know, your use of the chemotherapy to do an IV vitamin C session. Um, even though IV vitamin C, the argument, I, the argument is, is that vitamin C is an antioxidant and chemotherapy is an oxidizing agent, so you're negating the effects of the chemotherapy if you, you know, if you're giving your, the chemotherapy, which is a highly oxidizing agent to your body, you want it to kill the cancer, it's a poison. Um, and if you give IV vitamin C, if that's an antioxidant, well, you're negating the effects of the chemotherapy. And if I'm gonna go through the chemotherapy, I want it to work. Um, but um, there's some studies out there that show high dose vitamin C in an IV form actually can work as an oxidizing agent. So there's some argument there, but still to be safe, I'd keep that at least 48 hours away from chemotherapy um, so that you're not getting any antioxidant effect and negating the chemotherapy if you're choosing to do that because you want it to work. Another question came in, I have breast cancer. Should I do surgery and chemo as they asked me to do? Well, um, like I tell, even our patients, you have to make that decision. That's not our decision, whether you do surgery and chemo as they asked you to do. Um, regardless of what you decide to do with standards of care, um, that they're appropriate or inappropriate for every person is different. So I'm not, 
against chemo and surgery and radiation at all, and I think it's very appropriate for a lot of people, um, but I am against anybody just jumping down a course of care because they, the, A, I think it's sad if they think that they have no other option, and B, that they are making that decision completely based upon fear. So uh, that tends to be the case scenario. Most people are, you know, hear that they have cancer, um, their sympathetic nervous system goes into a state of fight or flight, and it's very hard for them to make any rational decision, and they can get just herded down a pathway that they later regret. So just slow down is my, is, is my first piece of advice. Slow down, go to prayer, make sure that you have peace that literally passes all understanding about what you're doing and that you know that you're going to be taken care of through that. And regardless of whether you decide to do standards of care or not, you're going to be better off if you add some alternative things as well. Um, it will increase your survival statistics even more so. So the more alternative things that you can do, um, the better off I think you will be, you know, whether you do standards of care or not. Another question just came in, do you run the RGCC Greek test there? We do not do that uh, because we do some other testing. We do kinesiology testing in our office. That's one of the main things that we rely on here, um, which is very similar as far as results to the RGCC test. Though I think it's a valid test and um, um, that's another way to help find out you know, your course of care, and it can be um, very beneficial for a lot of people. We just don't, we just don't personally use that test. Um, another question, do you have any suggestions for brain cancer uh, supplements, etc.? Well, brain cancer is um, unique, so then let's, let's jump back to diet a little bit. So, um, when I said that every cancer can be different as far as diet goes, um, uh, there are some generalities to follow. So typically a colon cancer, colorectal, liver, pancreatic cancer typically are going to be fed. And again, this is a gross generality, but typically the source of fuel is going to be more apt to be amino acids, proteins. So those are the cancers, the GI type cancers, are more apt to be fed through proteins, amino acids. So it would probably be better uh, with GI type cancers to go on a, you know, cut out animal proteins, go more vegetarian-like as far as your diet goes. Um, that would be your best guess if you were going to take a guess at it. Um, brain cancers are a different ball of wax. So um, depends on the type of brain cancer. So astrocytomas um, those, that's a cancer that originates in astrocytes, tend to be fed through glutamine and create glutamine as their own fuel source. Um, that's kind of a negative of astrocytomas. Now, glutamine is an amino acid. So we never suggest any of our cancer patients to be taking glutamine, um, even if their cancer is uh, glycolytic driven completely, meaning through glucose completely. Um, and glutamine would be a supplement that a lot of people would be taking to heal their gut, L-glutamine. Oh, I have leaky gut, so my doctor put me on L-glutamine. Um, we take all of our patients off of L-glutamine. We don't want any of our cancer patients on L-glutamine. Um, uh, uh, so an astrocytoma brain cancer, it would be probably wise to limit amino acids 
thereby eliminating animal proteins, thereby cutting down on glutamine. It also goes for glutamates. So glutamates is a food additive that is um, added to food as a flavor enhancer, and glutamate converts to glutamine through a specific genetic pathway that we look at in your genes. And with this specific defect on this certain gene pathway, you can, you can convert glutamate to glutamine right, quite rapidly and back to glutamate. So um, with astrocytomas, uh, long story short, good idea to cut out animal proteins. Um, other brain cancers tend to be fed through glycolysis, tend to really love sugar. And again, this is a gross um, generality, but it's um, uh, more often than not, brain cancers do better with a ketogenic diet. Um, if it's an astrocytoma, you could go on a ketogenic diet with decreasing animal protein. So it's going to be a much more vegetable and high-fat diet. Um, so most brain cancers, again, do better on a ketogenic diet. And again, it doesn't have to be complete ketosis, getting into complete ketosis and staying in complete ketosis because it's very difficult to do. And it's difficult to monitor. And just a ketone stick urine test doesn't truly show if a person is in ketosis or not just because you're filling ketones. So, um, but if you get into a ketogenic-like diet, you really reduce the glucose and you can count your grams of glucose, getting it down below 15 grams of glucose per day, really for brain cancer patients would be a, a very appropriate and a very high-fat um, you know, vegetable-type diet. Um, okay, any other questions come in? Uh, how is your modified Gerson different than the traditional Gerson? So the traditional Gerson protocol is to do 13 glasses of juice every day. Um, so basically a glass of juice every waking hour um, for the most part, doing five coffee enemas a day. Um, and then there's some nutritional pieces that were added to that too. Now, Gerson is from Max Gerson, uh, who wrote several very good books on cancer. I'd highly recommend them. Uh, but remember, all his work with cancer patients was done back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. Now, Charlotte has kept up his work on a marvelous basis. What we have found with the Gerson protocol is um, first of all, it can be juicing, okay? Juicing and doing a Gerson protocol can be really good if your cancer is not fed through glycolysis. Um, so if it is fed through glycolysis, if you're juicing in carrot juice, you're, it's very high in nutrient value, um, but it's also very high in glucose. So you can't really do a Gerson-type protocol if your cancer is fed mainly through glycolysis. Um, the other issue that we have with Gerson is that it becomes very difficult to follow. So um, we've had patients come in the office literally bawling in tears that they, that they feel so ashamed that they cannot continue their Gerson protocol that they started prior to coming to us. Um, so um, can a Gerson protocol, full protocol, juicing 13 glasses a day, doing five co coffee enemas be helpful? Yes. I don't see that as real sustainable. You almost have to hire a maid uh, or have multiple extended family members doing grocery shopping for you, juicing for you. Just the physical 
ability to do that, it limits everything else in life. And if that's the last, uh, you know, Hail Mary pass that we have to try to save life, that's great. And to do that for a period of time, that might be necessary and it might be appropriate. <clears throat> but in our clinic and in my life, I'm trying to balance, um, you know, healing uh, and with respect for that person and respect for the quality of life they have. And to me, um, it, it's real easy to make an idol out of your healing if you are consumed with the task that you have to do in a given day to hopefully heal from the cancer. And doing a full Gerson protocol could be life consuming um, and it kind of defeats the purpose of why you want to heal the cancer so that you can live life if you can't live life. Now I understand if I have to do this for three months and this is going to give me another 10 years of life, well, goodness sakes, we're all, uh, let's do the three months of doing Gerson. But um, um, it's not everybody that has that experience. It can just be draining on their life. So it can be a good program for people. It's not a good program for everybody just like anything else. And we want to make sure that we're not consumed and make an idol out of our, he our healing um, and that we are no good for anybody. Um, so, yes. All right, so thank you for our first session of our, um, our healing, what do we call this again? Holistic Health Hour. Holistic Health Hour. Um, promise it wouldn't go an hour, so we kept it short, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks.